You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room, where we bring you episode 301. And a fitting way to mark episode 301 is with our review of Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm going to be your master of ceremonies, Carlos, and I'm joined by my two compatriots, Tim and Troy. How are you boys doing tonight? I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready to talk No Way Home. I'm ready to listen mm. to Troy talk about mm. No Way Home more particularly. <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Cloud nine. Cloud nine. I, I know, man. I think I'm just going to be here as your color commentary. And, uh, and Tim will be bringing us our commercial breaks as we uh, listen to yeah. you gush about all things No Way Home. So, yes, yeah, to the listeners out there, we're probably going to do something a bit different for you tonight with this one. There's lots of discourse on No Way Home and uh, I, the effusive praise is all over the place. So uh, we'll probably be a little shorter, but uh, you'll have theory craft in here like you won't hear anywhere else. So that much I can guarantee you. But uh, Timbo. Lay it on me, man. Let's uh, release that pressure valve a bit and let me know. What's uh, what's kind of your quick one or two sentence review here? I, this is my favorite part always when we're doing with you, reviews with you, Carlos, is the ability to just be like, here it is. And I think the biggest thing that I said early on that's going to kill this movie is expectations. People had so much riding on this, so much into is Toby in it, is Andrew in it. What are they going to do with this film particularly a multiverse movie the third installment of a really good spider-man trilogy is he in the mcu is he not can they deliver on those expectations my answer is they exceeded those expectations they found a way to exceed everyone's expectations that is the thing that sticks out to the most to me for spider-man no way home excellent yeah man like how (laughs) how could you not be impressed with what Mm -hmm. they pulled off given like you said the weight of expectations Troy, my man. Yes, sir. Lay it on me, yes. man. And if you need more than two lines, you take them. Oh. You take them. <laughs> I don't know how many lines I can go off of here, man, because um, this film to me was this film to me was just something magical. It just exceeded my expectations like no other. I, I can't believe how well – I can't believe the job they did with this movie. You know, um, credits all, all to John Watts. Mm-hmm. John Watts, man, this guy does not get enough credit. And what he managed to do with this film is absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, I mean, like, I'm not holding back here. It's, it's my favorite Spider-Man film of all time. It's my favorite MC. It's my favorite superhero film of all time. Wow. This movie did absolute wonders. And the brilliance of it all is when you look at stuff like Batman Begins, Doctor Strange 1, Iron Man 1, those are all one-shot, one-movie origin, sto- origin stories. This, when it's all said and done, this trilogy, what we got is three movies making one origin story yes. for spider-man yes this was his whole it's the mm-hmm. whole mcu trilogy of spider-man what we just had was his origin story and it was brilliant is absolutely brilliant because where they put this character at the end of the film is what everybody's been wanting whether you liked what he was before or whether you didn't everybody can agree now we have yes. our definitive spider-man and i'm all there for it i absolutely loved this film and i, I just I, I couldn't wait to talk about this film with you too it's <laughs> oh. I can't wait, guys. Amazing. Buckle up, baby. Amazing. And yeah, we'll get into that, like <laughs> where Spider-Man is uh, now at the conclusion yes. of the film and where we think he's going. Because I, I think 
this could be like the Joker review where all of us saw the same thing but have some mm. different perspectives on it. For me, all I'll say is uh, I'd like to thank the visionary Avi Arad for, de- for delivering yes. the greatest Marvel movie that I've ever seen. So that's uh, fair. That's uh, that's where it I'll hurt, leave hurts that one. hurts a little bit to hear that out loud, but that's fair. <laughs> Man, I said it here, and it's uh, it's in the credits. But uh, yeah, I'll maybe extrapolate on that a little bit more. Uh, on the back end of this uh, this year record, so Troy, my man, what did you think about yeah, the setup and the conceit for the movie? So we have our uh, epilogue scene at the end of Far From Home, which mm-hmm. has Peter getting framed for the murder of Mysterio, and we're left hanging there. So take me through from there, right up to when the villains start popping off. So we won't quite get into Doc Ock showing up on the freeway, but we'll get into um, all the stuff with Peter under the cloud of the accusations and going to Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange helping him out as he did, so to speak. So, yeah, what did you think of all that? And what are your thoughts on that kind of opening for the movie and how they set that up? Ah, man, this is great. You know, honestly, I think next to um, Infinity War, I think this is the strongest first act we've had in an MCU film. I think it was really, really well done. You know, uh, one of the great things as well that John Watts seems to do with these uh, Spider-Man movies is he always manages to connect uh, the first act, at least the first opening two minutes of the film, to the last previous time you saw Spider-Man. Not necessarily Spider-Man 1 or 2, but the last time you saw Spider-Man. And so when you see Homecoming, you get that quick little like speed-up recap of what happened in Civil mm-hmm. War with like the uh, the cam footage, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. And then when you go to... Um, Far from home, you obviously get the snap reveal through the high school students' uh, perspective, right? And how they've been brought back. And then here now, we pick up right off the heels of what's happened at the end of Far From Home. And you can feel uh, the nerves running through Peter and Zendaya. And, and Zendaya is also a brilliant highlight throughout this whole film because she gets a lot to work with. So um, right off the bat, man, I feel like this this film's firing on all cylinders. The tone is set. And that's always an important thing with uh, any film. But especially when you have something that has so much hype going into it like this the attention is there the stakes are there and it's like wow there's a lot on line here for this this kid he's just a high school kid peter parker you know so right off the bat i love what they did just starting off the film with the stakes of it all and everybody knowing who peter parker is and great moments of him uh having an encounter with Aunt May and you know thinking he's having uh underage sex you know for the first time going on and all that stuff was just brilliant and him just you know out there using his web shooters to bring down the curtains and then eventually just fessing up and revealing to his aunt may and happy like look i'm busted like (laughs) help me out here you know so it's it's a brilliant opener loved it Mm -hmm. yeah no i gotta echo that man like i loved i loved how much they leaned into the fact that he is a kid in this one and it was ironic you have your kind of oldest wisest tom holland spider-man but this was the first time that he really presented like a high school kid and being somebody who um while having all this great power might not have the maturity to to deal with all these things in his world crashing down so yeah i thought that was pretty interesting and yeah i loved the opening as well and i thought they set it up in in a really cool way and really efficient with just seeing peter's world imploding around him mm-hmm. i did think it was weird how they kind of at the end of the first act just sawed that off and it's like Here's an exposition dump, and we're going to dispense with the whole frame-up story and everything that preceded this, and we're going to get into the goods. And the movie's so dense, you kind of see why. But I did think that it was kind of weird that you had this build-up to this 
Peter Parker on the run and he's been framed for murder, but it's all kind of put to rest very quickly. However, they did that with the greatest cameo that I think I've seen in the MCU with my boy, Matt Murdock showing up. And it, it was funny. My daughter, like her first comment after seeing the movie and kind of gushing about how great it was. She's like, I had to laugh. Because as soon as that white stick went down, I heard you and Mummy both go, <gasps> because I like I actually really had my doubts that he was going to show up in this movie. But uh, yeah, I love that this was his first bonafide appearance in the MCU. They kind of played it well. And, you know, granted, he was tasked with giving the exposition dump to tie off that story that they spent some time with. But uh, that moment with the brick and the, mm. how'd you do that? I'm I'm a really good lawyer, like just brilliant. I thought that was pretty cool, and like all sins forgiven with that. But Timbo, what did you think of the opening of this one? Look, a term we use a lot here in the nerd room is economic. And to both of your points, we get through a lot of material, we wrap up a lot of loose ends, but you're also given the aspects of the characters that you want with Holland, with Zendaya, with Sad Hogan, with Daredevil, with Aunt May. There's a lot going on right here. But it is so streamlined and economic. Like, realistically, you could have dragged this out for the first act and a half, right? Could have been a movie, this whole... honestly. It could, yeah, full on. Right. But I love that they get right to it, and they use every single scene, whether it's him walking, whether it's them in jail, whether it's them sitting with Matt Murdock. They use every scene to fill in little details as to what's going on, what the world is doing. They use the news to provide exposition over top of the characters having conversations. There's so much done in this such a small space that, like you said, heaping praise on the writers and John Watts on this is so important because the first 10 minutes of the film, you get through everything you need to and it preps you. It gives you the foundation that you need to really leap off to get into some pretty wild concepts when you start introducing Doctor Strange. Because my biggest fear coming into this was that, and we talked about this lots, that there's so much to do in this film that how do you do this in two and a half hours without making it feel like a quote unquote third installment of a Spider-Man film where you're jamming stuff in. Like how are we going to get through a Matt Murdock reveal, multiple Spider-Man, Dr. Strange, all of these villains, and then actually have a Peter Parker story in here. Mm-hmm. You have to be economic about it. And this first 10 minutes really does that expertly. You, you cannot knock any, really any part of this film when it comes to how economic it is with all of this. There's some wild concepts here. And then we get to Doctor Strange, another character that I was a little bit worried about sticking out here. And he is more or less a glorified cameo in this, which I really love. Mm -hmm. That his story isn't so big. We're not doing the Doctor Strange mirror dimension for two. Like, they literally stick him in a corner for a while just to be like, yeah, he's there. We don't need to worry about Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. That, that to me, is brilliant storytelling because – You're doing the things that you need to do. You're using the mechanisms that you have in play, like Doctor Strange and the Mysterio stuff, and to make the plot roll, but you're not spending 30, 40 minutes to get your back half of the movie, your big blow up all the stuff you want to see set up. It's done in 15 minutes, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And to touch on the Doctor Strange part, what also is so cool for me is that, you know, so many times now with the MCU films, we've grown accustomed to having other MCU characters interact with other MCU characters all the time, right? And even though Doctor Strange popped up in here and you mentioned glorified cameo, and I totally agree, it was so crazy because without that Doctor Strange, I really felt like for the first time in a long time, 
this wasn't even an MCU mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. I really felt like this could have been any other Spider-Man film in a, in a good way. And it was really cool to kind of get that feel because it kind of brings it back down because we've been so overwhelmed with all these other even TV shows, right? Falcon, Winter Soldier, um, um, Sharon Carter, not Sharon, yeah, Sharon Carter pops up there too, right? So you're always getting all these like MCU characters. It's really cool to feel like this is this is Spider-Man's yeah. story mm-hmm. and Doctor Strange just happens to be there. Yeah. You know, it wasn't Loki and Thor. It was Spider-Man and I guess we'll get there. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It was just, well, it was just Spider-Man, you know, right? To be honest, yeah. like I'll, I'll kind of hit on that now. And this really did feel like it was separate. Like Doctor Strange was just a plot device to kind of exactly. get to where yeah. they needed to get to, right? So they, they wanted to tell a story where you integrated the historical Spider-Man on film. And this was a piece that was in play because of the MCU dynamic. And it's funny that you talk about the tone and feel of this story being separate from the MCU because like doing a bit of homework, like the writers for this, they had done the previous Spider-Man movies, but like the majority of their work is outside of Disney and is actually for Sony. The only non Sony thing that I saw of note that they had done is they, they were co-writers on Ant-Man and the Wasp, but they had done Lego Batman movie. So Mm -hmm. that's, it kind of speaks to, the fact that this was a Sony movie very much like from the way it presented at the beginning, right through the credits. And um, I don't know, like I, I feel that they didn't get enough credit for bringing this thing to the screen. And like, I honestly think yeah. that like the Genesis of this whole Spider-Man no way home with all the Spider-Men yeah. was from that crazy bastard Avi Arad because like, no, yo, I, I'm, I'm there for it. I'm there for it. You convinced. know what I like about this? Yeah. Is that it's it's refreshing to have for now because they're winning. You know, everybody's everybody's cool when that team's winning. And right now Sony's winning, yeah. so I'm cheering them on. But it's cool to have these guys play with the MCU characters. It's cool that they brought in Matt Murdock, which which if you go back to um episode one seventy seven, yeah. Far For Home Review, I, I did predict that <laughs> Matt Murdock was gonna show. So, so yeah. <laughs> but but also too that they got to play with um Doctor Strange and Matt Murdock, and it's really cool that we got these other eyes writing these characters and it worked because mm-hmm. you know, for, for when you're watching the trailers, Dr. Strange yes. seemed a little different for me, but actually watching this film, Dr. Strange's character makes a lot of sense. It's actually like the synergy is really quite accurate with his portrayal here. And it is an infinity war. You know how he's basically like, listen, Tony and Peter, like if it comes down to the stone or the kid or you, I'm going to pick the stone. And he brings that same energy here where he's basically references, like if they die, they die. And I'm like, that's really mm-hmm. cool. Cause that is Doctor Strange. Yeah. So it's a really nice um, take on all these characters, but still faithful to what the MCU's built up. Yeah. yeah. No. And I think to your point about Avi Arad, and I know I, I joke a lot about Feige and all that stuff, but I, I think you're exactly right on that one. You know, that there is this maybe overtone of the MCU, but in and of itself, I don't think the MCU would have really run down this path given that they had free reign over the Spider-Man characters. I feel like this might've been a more intimate story. You know, there's discussions of maybe this was a Craven story originally, but this scale of it and then the, and the way that they bring in the legacy stuff, because honestly, there's no new characters in this film at all. No. Right. This is all legacy characters, whether it's from the MCU side or the Sony verse side or former Spony or former Spider-Man. And so this is a lot about moving pieces around the chessboard, but introducing nothing new. And the concepts we are familiar with, the characters we're familiar with, 
And Doctor Strange, like you said, Troy, I like the way he was. In the trailers, that was the biggest red flag for us. Like, who is this guy? This is mm-hmm. Mephisto or whatever. But yeah. that was a bit of, I don't know if it was on purpose, trailer trickery, because you get into this, and the way that he rolls out some of those key lines is different from the way they were portrayed in the trailer. And so it makes you step back and say, okay, I understand a bit more where Strange is coming from because that's, I think, the biggest leap the audience is asked to make because, like you said, he's a plot device. He's a mechanism to, for the, the catalyst of this whole movie is that you have to believe the fact that he's just going to do with the magic, it's going to mess up, and it's going to create something. Yeah. And the fact that the box was actually his solution is cool, and it's really that difference of opinion between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange that actually gets the movie running as opposed to Doctor Strange actually screwing it up. Yeah, it was kind of the the MacGuffin of the movie. And don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. I'm not saying that Avi is this grand architect that (laughs) put this meticulously crafted perfect film to screen. I think he's just throughout the craziness of saying, I want all this stuff in the movie. And then they put the brains to work to say, okay, well, this is is our job. How do we make this work? Good writing saved what could have been a wild and crazy disaster of a film, in my opinion. Yeah, Venom 2. So yeah. <laughs> with that, with that task that uh, I, I think we've hypothesized was put in front of these writers, um, we get this grand introduction of uh, Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus coming back and the villains start popping off. And we get this amazing freeway fight that not only gets everybody at the edge of their seat watching this battle between a Doc Ock that we know and love well and a Spider-Man who's never faced him, uh, but also does some great work to kind of lay the story and what the dynamics at play are with who and why these villains are coming into um the universe that Tom Holland Spider-Man exists in and how he's trying to reconcile this. And um, yeah, Troy, man, what did you think? Like, mm-hmm. take me through, like from Dr. Octopus right through to, uh, I guess, the Green Goblin showing up. Oh, man, John Watts, baby, again, coming through. When you go back to um, the Spider-Man films, you know, some of the iconic scenes, obviously, is the um, the train scene, mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2. Uh, some of the great stuff in Washington, in Homecoming. Uh, we've had to stuff, obviously, in the Amazing Spider-Man, the high school fights, all those things. But this is something else to add to those that list. Um, <laughs> seeing Spider-Man fight Dr. Ock, but it's a different Spider-Man from what Ock is uh, familiar with, was, was brilliant. But I, why I'm giving praise to John Watts here is the fact that he was able to go back to Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi, and he picked up on the fact that... Um, Doc Ock has written a book, I think, on nanophysics, right? Um, and it's cool. So when he penetrates Peter's armor, he's like, oh, this is nanotechnology. Like, so he's familiar mm-hmm. with it. And it actually makes so much sense. So I really thought those kind of walls coming in together was really, really cool. And Peter's really quippy. And seeing, like, this is the best I've seen the Iron Spider suit perform. This was really cool seeing, like, his tentacles against Doc Ock's. It was such a great battle. But the whole time, Peter is trying to save all these civilians. I love seeing that stuff. And he's doing like the web swinging and he's catching all, it was, it was just brilliant. I, I love this scene. And um, Alfred Molina, man, or it was Alfred Molina, Alfred Molina, Molina, Alfred Molina. He, huh, he was so good. I don't know. It's a toss up <laughs> between him and William Defoe 
it i don't know who did it better but those guys were both killer i thought the de-aging technology yes, was fantastic so on everybody yeah. everything is some of the best flawless uh, flawless right it's absolutely flawless but it was cool and, and i also liked the fact that um because at this point in the film we're familiar with a spider-man that is um i guess a little more iron man-esque with his technology in his suit and I thought it was brilliant how his nanotechnology uh, fused or like Bluetooth synced with Doctor mm-hmm. Doctor Doctor Octavius, and uh, Peter could control it. I thought that's such a clever way. Instead of him fighting his way out of this fight, he actually outsmarted him mm-hmm. and took over his technology in his arms. I thought that's a really cool way to kind of wrap that up. And uh, then obviously we get hit with the uh, the Green Goblin, but it was cool because it's a tease. We didn't get that fight. Boom, snap back to uh, Doctor Strange's lair, and it was uh, is a good time. It was a good time. Lots of action in this film, too. Lots and well, lots yeah. of action to break up the tension, action right? Action-packed, for sure. Well, yeah, and I'll build off yeah. of that. Like, one of my favorite scenes in the movie was, like, Spider-Man swinging out into the countryside. I thought that that was probably the best web-slinging that we've ever seen out of the John Watts films. I just loved how that was staged mm-hmm. and framed. And then, man, I was like just cheering in the theater when the Sandman shows up and he shows up to assist Peter. Yes. Because like in the nineties comics, like for a moment in time, the Sandman was actually a good guy, like trying to, and so part of the Avengers. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of cool that they integrated that little piece. And uh, it it also allowed them a chance for Peter to efficiently deal with Electro because that's one of those villains where you typically take Spider-Man, especially Spider-Man facing Electro for the first time a very long time to figure out what this guy is all about and then how to mm-hmm. overcome his is pretty high power set so that was pretty cool and like Jamie Foxx was just a revelation like I loved yes. I, <laughs> I loved his lines He's I loved good. the self-deprecating humor and uh he, he honestly had some of the best moments in the film, which is awesome because he's probably the most maligned out of the Spider-Man mm-hmm. villains over those original five movies. So, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Like, I, I liked that they gave him some agency and um, did some cool things with the Sandman and gave him that quasi-sympathetic arc where he's the one guy that just yes. wants to get home and he doesn't care. He doesn't need anything to be fixed yeah. or changed, but... Um, mm-hmm. Typical to Flint Marco, like he gets frustrated and doesn't have the patience to trust and wait for what Peter needs to get done, done, and uh, it all goes awry from there. But Timbo, Green Goblin, man, I'll, I'll let you take the honors with this guy. Yeah, and it's it's the what they do with Defoe in this one. You know, he becomes, I guess, the villain of the film at some point here, where you do have all these other guys in play, like you guys have mentioned, but the thing that I like about it is they don't rush to a Sinister Six here. They don't rush mm-hmm. to a team-up forming behind the Green Goblin. They all have their own arcs and own stories that carry on from the previous films and iterations that they're and the universes that they're coming from. And so that not only allows the Goblin to stand out a little bit, but because you're building all that, you waste no time with villain exposition, with mm-hmm power set building with giving them a backstory that's why there's so much room in here for the peter parker story because you have all of this previous knowledge and you're just hitting the ground running they introduce what is it five villains in the span of like eight minutes or whatever it is some pretty intense battles and you're engaged with this whole thing but you're not thinking about okay where did doc ock get his arms or where did electro get his powers from like jimmy fox he makes a comment about looking better okay i'm gonna run with it who cares 
and they don't waste any time there and you get the power set built as exposition is happening and you're figuring out about the multiverse too why are these guys here and they're all questioning things and so the dialogue is just brilliant and then when you get to defoe and he becomes a bit sympathetic at a point when he separates himself from the goblin persona and i think that builds so beautifully into the may arc i think defoe elevates everything with may and peter that happens later because that becomes such a centralized piece of this whole story and without defoe and the way that he portrays himself with May. He seeked out May because he saw a poster with Spider-Man and her. And her arc, I don't think I really ever paid attention to it until this film. And how she is such a person that is there to help others. Like, she, that is her essence. And it's so beautifully leveraged and used in this in opposition to not only William Defoe's Goblin, but when you have the turn... Everything makes so much more sense to me. This had a serious Winter Soldier effect, Troy, if I can steal a term out of your toolbox, Yeah. <laughs> that you now think back about all the stuff they built with May and Peter and who she is. It makes sense that they have this conversation. It makes sense that she would take in the Goblin. And this is where Peter gets his entire motivation from that cascades through the entire film and actually causes some major events to happen. And so you look at this, Defoe is, yeah, he's a centralized piece to it, but it's like the Defoe-May thing and the ability to run with villains that you do not have to worry about. Like I was talking about earlier, a chessboard, they're moving or things, never introducing anything new. That's something that is brand new to, I think, to any superhero movie film, where you don't have to worry about the backstories of literally anybody. And I'll use the word again, it makes everything so economic and it allows the room to breathe to do the important things with Peter Parker and some of these villains to really elevate what's going to happen later on in the film. That's no, that's some great points. I actually wanted you to talk about the lizard, but like, whatever, you're walking over my hosting <laughs> job, and that's uh, <laughs> you told me, wait, it's only goblin, so there we go. Lizard, no, I'm yeah. just giving you a hard time, buddy. I'm just giving what, you what'd you guys time. think of uh, of this, of the suit, the inside out suit, once it was uh in the movie because it is a lot different than all the marketing we've seen. Mm -hmm. There was wires yeah. and there was like this, you know, the duct tape Phone, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It was, it was kind of interesting to see that because none of the merchandise that we've seen have touched on any of that stuff. It was basically just a black and gold costume. Yeah. But in this film is way more. Interesting. I did like the homebrew of it all with like the, like mm -hmm. you said, like the wires and Timbo touched on like the phone duct tape to it and whatnot. Like that was cool. Yeah. It, it, like the whole thing with the paint getting thrown on it and then may eventually watching it. Like it exists to sell toys for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, it, yeah. like it was fine. What did you think? seen it in this movie i liked it a lot more like was it was it functional did it do anything cool for spider-man no but it was kind of neat just to see like more so of it being like a doctor strange proto suit of some sorts mm -hmm. it was nice to see that it actually is a suit yeah. that's reversed and it's like it falls to like that peter parker luck right where it's like like i can't stitch up my costume so i'm gonna look like kind of homeless when i'm fighting yeah. i'll just reverse it so it's inside out you know like it's kind of like uh like a high school thing like if a kid was like could throw his like reversible basketball shorts on you know so i thought it kind of was cool for like this age in spirit in peter parker's life it, i like it, it. it works too because it's all part of this like process of shedding everything that's come before right mm -hmm. it's like this, mm -hmm. this slow piecemealing out all the suits that tony gave him because a nano suit gets kind of beat up there he starts to lose that. This suit is getting beat up, and he's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I think it's part of yeah. that process that is a bit more organic than him just like losing it in a river or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
or, yeah. or it just stopped working, right? Like it, it, it works because the other thing they also turn off too is all the Stark connections, because yeah. in that like he he doesn't have that connection to the Stark satellites and all that anymore, and so they're slowly taking away from him. Like this is a lot of the theme of the movie, right? Is that he's losing things, and it starts right off the bat with his suit. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Troy, I gotta let you touch on the Green Goblin, man. Like for me, as like a Spider-Man fan, I love that they yeah basically set this thing up so that Peter's arch nemesis, the Green Goblin, despite having never faced Tom Holland's Spider-Man, yeah. they, in one movie, made him the big, great threat and had him be the guy that destroyed so much of Spider-Man's life. So, mm-hmm. man, take me through, yeah. like, you touched on, you touch on Ock, and I can't rob you of anything, man. So, like, take me through from, like, <laughs> the Ock, you can touch on the, the Electro stuff, but... Right through to yeah. Peter working in Happy's house, taking it over, and having it be yeah. his uh, rehabilitation center, and all of that, man. Yeah, well, you know, to go with the Green Goblin for, for me, I um, I always felt like at least when it comes to the comics, um, every, anything from two thousand and up, the Green Goblin hasn't really been uh, that great. I, I think the last best thing Norman Osborn's done is actually um, end a uh, Secret Invasion, right when he was running. Uh, was it Hammer? Yeah, Hammer. Yeah. yeah, I think it's Hammer, right? And then the Thunderbolts and all that stuff. So Green Goblin's kind of been low key, kind of kind of whack, and I think Doc Ox filled those shoes well. This movie has been the best Green Goblin we've seen since the end of Secret. Invasion. You didn't like the Red this Goblin stuff in the books? I didn't really like the Red Goblin. I mean, yeah, he took off Flash. It's probably because he killed Flash Thompson, yeah. and that's my Venom. Yeah. So that's that's why I don't really like that guy. But <laughs> you know, um, for this film, it's cool to see. In every universe of the Marvel or the Spider-Man stuff, Green Goblin has been the mainstay bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one that's responsible for doing some damage to Peter, but also, like, ruining Harry and Peter's relationship, ultimately Harry dying because of Green Goblin. Um, the death of Gwen Stacy in Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's the Green Goblin. And now when you come to this universe, he's also the cause of Aunt May. And William Defoe's portrayal of the Goblin was so good because it's that classic portrayal of Green Goblin where he will kind of have that interplay of like, I'm Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I was capable of doing. Kind of has like that amnesia effect, right? Or I'm Green Goblin today, I'm Norman tomorrow. You never know who you're actually getting that face value. And I thought William Defoe yep. nailed it yeah. out of his uh, the alley scene. And the alley scene's brilliant because the alley scene is just like, Spider-Man no more, you know, like that classic comic book image of Spider-Man walking away from being Spider-Man. Yeah. You get that in this movie, but it's Green Goblin. Like that's John Watts, man. Mm, like that stuff to me is so cool. But anyways, you, you you see Green Goblin end up at feast and he plays this role of like, yeah, you know what? We've seen Norman Osborn in Spider-Man 1 and 2. Uh, well, Spider-Man 1, the Raimi-verse. And we've seen how crazy he is. Maybe this time around, maybe this time around, he's actually going to kind of turn like a heel turn right he's actually going to be a good guy and sure enough he plays that role so well all the way up until spider-man spider sense which has been established since um far from home it comes full circle and it knows what the hell is going on it knows this guy isn't right this guy's motives isn't right this guy is dangerous and that whole scene unfolds and it's brilliant and it works so well because of william defoe's portrayal mm-hmm. of it when this guy's getting knocked in the face constantly by spider-man in rage and he's smiling at him Oh my goodness! It's just like, it's the cool. It's it's like Joker being knocked in the face by Batman, except Green Goblin can actually take it because he has like the the Goblin serum, right? There's so many things that this guy did for me that I was just like, this is my favorite take on the Green Goblin live action, hands down. And he didn't have 
the mask, but I think the mask is actually a big part in that. I think when you have the Sam Raimi mask, it takes away a lot of that emotion that William yes, Defoe's face 100%. can kind of animate. Yeah. And William Defoe's face, it does all that stuff that just works wonders for the uh, portrayal of this this take on Green Goblin. So he was uh, he's a big win for me. In this yeah, movie. man, I fully agree. Although, like, I didn't take it that he was playing Possum, which actually fed into May's story even more because she was so compassionate towards him. And I think he mm-hmm. was, like, legitimately an altruistic Norman Osborn. But it's mm. when Otto comes into the lab and he says, like, he's celebrating the fact that Norman will be free of the goblin forever. But that him saying that triggers the goblin to take yeah. control again. Interesting. Okay, yeah, because I remember in the movie, I like that take, because in the movie he says... um Something about I've been watching you through Norman's eyes. So I always took it at when he says, I've been watching you through Norman's eyes. I've been watching you to figure out your move, to figure out May, to figure out Peter, to figure out your weaknesses. But when you put it that way, that's a cool take yeah, too. He, so he, I, I, I do like yeah, that. When, so after Peter webs him when, he ha- when he's holding that canister, he, he makes a mm-hmm. comment about um, Pickett, like the, Otto saying that that was going to be his demise, so to speak. Uh, being yeah. the thing where he couldn't abide by it anymore, where he he's like, yeah, Norman is weak, and uh, like the strong should live and the strong should thrive and bow down yeah, to nobody, gods. right? And that's what yeah. triggers Electro to say, yeah, no, dude, you're totally right, and um, oh. yeah, and uh, and the way that whole thing played out with the the villains all taking sides and the tension, yeah, yeah, like Otto. Otto fighting alongside Spider-Man, Goblin yeah. obviously trying to get the allies that he can and do as much destruction as he can. Electro yeah, Mace tightened her grip on that bag. Yeah, Electro, it made sense that he would follow Norman's lead because that's mm-hmm. he's kind of tasted both worlds and that's the one that he likes. And then the Sandman yeah. being like, I don't know what's going on, so peace out. Like The, the only guy that I thought was kind of <laughs> weird was the Lizard. but He was kind of like... Uh... It's funny because he he doesn't really have much to do, right? No, he's kind then, of he's yeah. kind of off. I'm here because I'm here, type thing. Yeah. Did any of you guys feel like the lizard that we saw in this movie, and maybe I'm just like thinking too hard, is is lizard after Amazing Spider-Man two? Like for the fact that he's maybe transformed into the lizard again. Oh, okay. Because the lizard in Amazing Spider-Man one was like redeemed, and he was like kind of to himself. But I feel like this time around, it's it's like him. Yeah. And he's been brought back as the lizard at some point in the Garfield verse. And that's why he's a little, he's a little worse off this time around than when we saw him in the first one. He had one. some history. Yeah. I, I, I kind of got that sense yeah. too, because he talks about the consequences of Peter trying to help people all the time. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It, it makes it kind of feel like he's been on the receiving end of that. And, you know, maybe it didn't go well when Andrews, Peter tried to help him out, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, like that, that battle and, and like Tim, uh, touched on building May to that point where she fills that Uncle Ben role and she's the person that imparts onto Tom Holland's Peter Parker that you know you don't do these things because uh, you want to be part of the Avengers and because it's the cool thing to do you you need to do these things because it's the right thing to do and that's always been the hole for me with the mm-hmm. Holland Spider Man and I don't know that they were building to this moment through the three movies in fact I'm not convinced that it was there but man standing ovation to the guys that wrote this movie for looking at the criticisms looking at the shortcomings and like tim kind of talked about 
the suits being symbolic of him shedding off the trappings of what this Spider-Man has gone through, I really felt like the writers with craft in this movie did just that. They're like, there's a Spider-Man that exists and that's been formed up to this point, but it might not be hitting all the beats that either the fans want or that we want our Spider-Man to uh, embody. And I thought it was amazing that they they just own that and they were like this is a spider-man that we want to craft and that and it was incredible and it forgave so many sins and like automatically like endeared like and i've always liked tom holland spider-man but i've never loved him because that piece was always missing for me like it's like you know homecoming you got that great cave-in scene but it's like dude why are you doing it because you're crying about tony stark like no, like the the thing is, you need to need to be wanting to do it because it's the right thing to do. Because you need to protect those people that can't protect themselves. Last I checked, Tony can take care of business himself, right? It's about delivering at May her medicine, those type of things, right? Mm-hmm. So to give her all that agency and for her to be an example to him, she's literally dying because of the actions of Norman or the Green Goblin, and she's saying like no, you need to step up, you need to do what's right, and you need to cure this guy because Norman Osborn is... Like, that's pretty profound and pretty amazing stuff. And, like, you got 26 Marvel movies that have never touched on anything like that. And, like, Marissa Tomei, she brought it, man, and crushed it with that and created a all-new, all-different Spider-Man just in that one scene. Amazing. It's my favorite part in this film. Whether it was it's retconning stuff or whether this was an actual build, I probably lean a bit more towards that this was good writing and building on, like you said, Carlos' criticisms that have been heard about the lack of Uncle Ben and the lack of this this line that I'm not going to say because I'm going to let Troy say it. But <laughs> this, like you said, Troy, is a moment. We've had six appearances of quote-unquote Spider-Man, but it's not until mm-hmm. this moment that Spider-Man is actually born inside of the MCU, in my opinion. I love your take that this is an origin six film arc that Spider-Man has had. Cause that was my exact takeaway from this. I'm whispering to myself. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe they're twisting it in this way. It is so well done. I'm okay with, with uncle Ben never really being anything now because Mm -hmm. they've made this moment and through the progression with Osborne, the progression with may, her ties to people to the less fortunate and to you having to help that small person, her being that shining example for him for being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It it's unbelievable. One of the best moments in the MCU. It is like a drop a pin moment. You can hear everyone gasp. You can hear everyone connecting the dots very rapidly through the previous six films. When you get into this being like, Oh my goodness, all of this stuff that we've layered in, talking about how this is spider-man this is this we do i don't i honestly don't think until he puts her down and hears that line that he is spider-man it is it is halfway through the third movie of his sixth appearance and it's just absolutely brilliant all of it here mm-hmm. it, it, bravo i can't say much more than that like wow yeah man kudos to yeah. those those writers man like they it's all in that they balled up and they were just like, yeah, th- like, and there was small teases to it, right? With them being aware things like the time magazine cover with iron yep. boy jr. And him crying, like 
you know that they weren't oblivious to the criticisms and uh, man i i'm perpetually especially after i saw it like another time i was pretty impressed with them being like you know what this is kind of david and goliath the sony with uh, Disney kind of face-offs, and we know that they had loggerheads before, but I love that Sony was like, yeah, this is our character and we need to celebrate him the way he needs to be celebrated, right? And I think mm-hmm. this Spider-Man now, coming off that moment, is one that you can do way more things with going forward, because mm-hmm. yeah. you could have Peter Parker down and out, hanging out with homeless people and trying to protect them, and never ever done a Spider-Man movie, and I have a really compelling movie but you couldn't have done that until that moment mm-hmm. in this movie. Yep. Oh man, this scene was because I was going into this film like you, you're not going to kill Aunt May. You're not going to kill. You're going to kill Ned. You're not going to kill yep. Aunt May. You're not going to kill MJ. And I, I'm watching this, and like I mentioned before, when I see Aunt May squeeze that bag with the Goblin serum, and like it's just hitting the fan. Like it's a tense scene, and it clicked. It clicked, and I'm like, oh my god, I think I think May's going to bite it, and we get that crazy visceral fight between Goblin and Peter, and then May gets knocked by the glider, man. The glider is just as dangerous as Goblin himself, right? Like, what that thing's done. And she's knocked out, and I'm thinking, no, like, she's done. But then she gets up, and it gives, like, that audience that hope. Like, she's good. She's mm-hmm. good. And she even says, it's just my head. I'm like, oh, okay, we're good. We're good. And then we get that performance from Tom Holland that he does so well. Like, he did in Infinity mm-hmm. War and Endgame. And, um... I'm like, oh, this is gonna happen, man. She, Aunt May's gone, and it's so it's so crushing because you know, obviously, you have to give credit to the to the writing as well and the way it was shot, but the performances, yeah. man, yeah. the performances were felt so real, and it was gut wrenching. And like like Tim said, man, at this point, I'm like, yeah, Spider Man is he's he's born. This is this is Peter Parker. He's he's a character born out of tragedy, man, just as much as Bruce himself. And um, it was so so endearing to see how well. They pulled this scene off, and um, man, that was crazy. You know what it was too is is a little bit of like a like a Lion King moment. Yeah, it's a little bit of a Lion King moment. You know when when Mufasa or Simba has to leave Mufasa there at the end when he's been trampled on, mm-hmm. but he has to keep going, and and Peter has to leave Aunt May there after he's been shot at. These guys have the guns loaded on him, and he has to leave his aunt, like his mother figure, like the only person that's ever really loved him as a child to now it's it's crushing it's absolutely crushing and then we get that cool um shot it's one of my favorite shots in this film and it's when um J. Joe jameson's on the big like screen and he's reporting like the casualties and then it kind you kind of get like this motion comic look and it pans back and it's peter's back towards the audience and it pans away and it's like it's like a three second shot but for me i'm like this is so great you got the rain pouring and then it does a close-up uh, shot on tom holland's face the hair is soaked in the rain and it just draws all the emotion and Peter is at his lowest because yeah, he was sad when he lost Tony, but this is something mm. else. This is his, well, yeah, and this is his uncle Ben all in yeah. one. It was, it was, it was something special, man. Something special. Well, and then you listen to like what Jonah's saying, you got to think like he's just saying out loud to the world, those things that yeah. Peter's got to be discussing with himself subconsciously. Right. So, and to see him brought as low as he was, amazing like we've never seen that before yeah. right so it, it, no. kudos to them for taking that risk and putting the audience through the ringer but slowly after that man oh. it, there's mm. a bit of hope there's a bit of hope oh. it, it might have been in 
in the most plot devicey way ever with Ned and his ring <laughs> and the uh, magic in his family tree, but uh, that's okay. We, we only got two hours to play with. And uh, your boy, our boy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My, my bro code breaker, oh. Andrew Garfield, coming through that portal, meeting Ooh. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, <laughs> interacting with MJ and Ned. Troy, what do you think of these introductions and oh. how they played with these guys <laughs> jumping into the universe, man? Take it away. Oh, listen, um, I don't know what it was, but when this scene happened, and it's, it's such a brilliant way to go from tragedy to hope in a matter of moments, but this scene's happening and Ned's doing the thing, and I think they're talking about, like, yeah, like, just, just call it Peter. Do it again. I don't know why it clicked to me, but I, I just started bumping my wife's knee. Like, oh, my God, like, this, this is it. This is the moment. This has to be the moment. <laughs> And my poor wife's knee, because I'm squeezing on this thing, like squeezing, <laughs> and, and 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 it flashes, and you see the alleyway, you see, and I, I I know these costumes, like hands down, I know the difference between Andrews with the eyes to Toby's to Holland's, and as soon as I see that eye, those eyes, I'm like, oh my god, it's it's Andrews, and I'm I'm guys, I'm telling you, I am flipping out. Like this time last year, <laughs> when we got the Mando two season finale, and Luke Skywalker appeared. I didn't think I could feel any way off of entertainment. Like, I didn't think it could get any higher. Like, sure, like, Hayden Christensen could pop up. Sure, we could get a Ben Affleck Batman movie. Sure, they could do an Amazing Spider-Man 3. But when when Garfield actually popped up, came out of that portal and revealed his mask, took it off, and he was just... From there to me, I'm telling you, I feel like it settled the debate. For me, I feel like it was like, I'm the best Spider-Man. Like, this, this <laughs> yes. guy right yes. here is the best Spider-Man you are looking at. And... And it carried over because when you watch this film, you just watch Andrew Garfield. You don't have to watch anybody else. Just watch Andrew Garfield. This guy steals the show yes. as Spider-Man, as, as Peter Parker. Like, from the little things with his hand, like, bouncing around when he's anxious to do, like, his, the web fluid stuff or come up with the cures. Um, him, like, stretching uh, Toby's back and his arms out. Like, does that feel good? How's your back? Is it good? Like, he's low to the ground at all times, whereas Toby's standing upright. That's always been my thing with uh, Garfield and Holland is that they're always low, like Spider-Man should be. There's so many subtleties in this character's performance, and we'll get to another part later, but guys, I'm telling you, this is like, this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen live action. Like, I was losing my mind. It was it was just unbelievable. Unbelievable! is ah, is so yeah, no, Everything I ever And I loved it, and I loved his, his comedy, and he had a bit of swagger to it. Like, mm -hmm. I loved how... Oh, yeah both he and his performance and with the writing, they leaned into the fact that he was the the poor sister Spider-Man, like the guy that didn't have the most popular movies and that didn't get a yeah. third the villains. Yeah, a third shot. And yeah, the villains that didn't become part of the zeitgeist type of thing. But they incorporated that in such a brilliant way. And he just, like, he's already been the most charming Spider-Man and this took it to level 10. Yeah. And oh my god, yeah, it, it was incredible. But Timbo, your favorite Spider Man, Toby Maguire, yeah, let me know, let me know what your thoughts are on, on him being brought into this. Look, you can go back to last week's episode, and you can you can hear a little of the discourse on that one, but yeah, him coming in, he he was a bit stranger than the other ones, like you said, that Andrew walks in with a lot of swagger, and he's right there, he's definitely nailing these lines, and Toby comes in. And, like, he definitely doesn't have the the younging on him. He's an older Spider-Man, a more worn Spider-Man. And he comes in without the suit on. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, Toby has refused to put the suit on. 
for these scenes that that's what my wife thought too she's like he's only you're gonna see him pull the thing over his head and it's all gonna be cgi from then on right you're never gonna see toby in the suit that does change and we do see him but he offers again this character arc that and this piece of it that i think plays well with all three of them Mm -hmm. is that yeah he brings a certain element of this is definitely still the toby of 2002 2007 yeah. whatever because these other guys stand out as a more modernized version of the character still in execution even though we're sitting in 2021 he has that same stoic tone like carlos does the impression very wonderfully <laughs> about his discussing and the whole fourth wall breaking piece of it all with all three of them that is catalyzed at points by by toby mcguire them talking about the organic web shooter and talking about I fought an alien, mine was in space. And there a lot of that is, I think, again, coming down to that brilliant writing that they are listening to the criticisms of those films. They are listening to the discourse that has happened in some of these, in some cases, for 20 years about the idea of the organic web shooters. And they're calling that out right there. These guys are interested in it because it's different from them. And I think that speaks volumes as to how well crafted this story is because like i said earlier this could have gone really bad with having all three of them here this could have been a big bombastic moment but i love that it was quiet it was subtle Mm -hmm. when they brought these guys in you got to spend literally yeah you got to spend a moment with them and hear them talk the exposition in here it's not it doesn't feel shoehorned, right? You're you're hanging on every word because you're seeing these guys on screen, but they're actually delivering a lot. And you have that moment between Andrew and Toby too, where they they do a little bit of the fighting because they don't quite know what each other are yet. And it's the subtleties in here that really matter because they could have shown up at the end scene, like most of us probably thought they were going to, right? They're going to come swinging in to save the day, but. I think the benefits you get from the economics of the story and the lack of villain development that you have to do, it benefits right here in the story because you go through the most emotional moment and it takes you to a different type of emotional moment, but it's the first time since the start, since go that you've had a moment to breathe in this film. Yeah, no, that's very true. And like I gotta say, like if you listen to our last episode, I'm not the biggest fan of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, but I gotta give him and John Watts and the writers props for how they presented him in this, because I actually mm-hmm. quite enjoyed the mm-hmm. the Raimi Spider-Man in this, and that they presented him as having some agency and a maturity yeah. to him. The dad figure, yeah, yeah, and that he's kind of been through those yeah. battles, but he was like the the cool youth pastor as uh, yeah i love that line (laughs) (laughs) but such uh, a good line (laughs) yeah i i like that they they gave him a role that made him important yeah uh without letting him kind of soak up all the air in the room or be the awkward i don't Mm -hmm. know what this is but it's the spider-man movie in front of me type of thing um and just the one thing that we didn't touch on but my favorite moment with these guys is when they first introduce themselves to Holland Spider-Man. Like, my goodness, they played that all perfectly. Mm -hmm. Like from uh, Toby kind of being the guy to spearhead the conversations to uh, Andrew Garfield, you know, 
being the Spider-Man who's arguably had the most trauma. Like they've all had, they've all had the loss of the parent figure, but he's the only one who has had it compounded with the loss of Gwen Stacy mm-hmm. directly as a result of his actions. But him kind of biting his tongue, recognizing that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is in a really bad moment and his words will be lost on him. And yeah. that great power comes great responsibility was that catalyst to galvanize them as a group and to get yeah. um, Tom's Spider-Man out of his melancholy and to try and, and to snap him into action. Brilliant. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And from like this MCU Spider-Man that like was literally scared to have that line play out, to use that as the linchpin moment of your third act was brilliant. Like, yeah, those I love that it's, are the things that really sold me on this movie. For sure. And I love that that appears to be like a fixed point, a fixed moment, right? The with great power comes great responsibilities as inconsistent as some of their stories are. That is like a fixed point in the Spider-Man lore that they hang off. Like you said, a linchpin. I, I, I agree, man. It is, it's so well done and executed in here. Now, with Toby, did it feel like to you guys this was like a Toby Swan song? Like this was a our final goodbye to this character because we didn't get a, a proper goodbye in Spider Man Three. Ah, uh, ish. Like we'll yeah. we'll, we'll kind of theory craft yeah. a bit, I think, at the end. But um, I I don't know that they really set anything in stone either way with those mm-hmm. other two Spider Man. Fair. If I was a betting man, I'd say, yeah, we're not going to see those guys again. But um, how, how was the crowd for your guys' reaction? It, it was good. Um, like, we had a packed house, and but they were all very respectful, right? So I had a very Canadian crowd. We braved the cold, went out, and there was, like, the reserved enthusiasm where everybody was um, excited and you could feel the energy in the room, and there was a couple, like muted like yes and things like that but there's nobody making a spectacle of themselves nobody throwing stuff that's nobody, unfortunate that's yeah. unfortunate man it was it, i'm telling you that's unfortunate did you have a time yes. did you have a time i was in a very listen, i was in a listen. very quiet theater i didn't have a whole bunch a little bit of gasping a little bit of like <gasps> yeah but nothing to the scale that i've i've no. experienced with like endgame in that yo we we brought that house down i'm telling you me and my wife we, we went in there it's our first mcu film since the uh since the pandemic we went in there and we were making noise like she was clapping when the mcu thing came up and it's dead so like oh shoot we got we got some work to do and then when matt murdoch came we made some noise and people started rustling but when andrew came the tone was there the whole audience it, it, bon jovi concert once again man people people are losing i think the first time i saw it um toby won that match but the last two times i've seen it <laughs> My boy Andrew's come on top every time. Like people have been going nuts for Drew. So um, I, you you need that man. I mean, you know, coming off of Endgame, like come on now, everybody listening to this, you got to make some noise when your boy shows up or when your girl shows up. Like just, just just make some noise. It's so much fun. It just adds to the movie going experience. Don't be shy. Just just lose it. It's it's the best time ever, man. That's the time to do it. That's the time to do it. Yeah, Love I it. can I can see it both ways. I'm kind of <laughs> curmudgeon-y. so it's like I need to hear this dialogue. <laughs> I paid my money. <laughs> I feel like they shoot it in a way where you, you, you have enough time, like like Avengers Assemble, and then it gives you that time to like, yeah, yeah. and then like they, they know what they're doing, I swear, because then they have like the dialogue come up after. Same with Andrew popping up. Same well, I guess 
Matt Murdock, you kind of need to be a little quiet, but I didn't care, man. This is Daredevil. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. It's all good. So, Matt, take us into that final battle. What did you think of the whole deal at the Statue of Liberty and the weird decision to have oh, the, the fun- shields being part of this <laughs> whole thing? <laughs> but you know what's cool with the, with the final battle and you and you bring up the shield? It was cool because it was um, it's like a cool callback because the first time you saw Spider-Man, he had the Captain oh, America you know shield. What, that's a great point. So it's cool to see to, to to come back to the Statue of Liberty and we're getting like three Spider-Man fighting with the shield. Um, just a quick callback too. I do like the moment when they're all working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, well, Peter one, Peter two, and Peter three, and they're all working together. And uh, Ned is trying to get their attention, and they do the Spider Verse. They all kind of point at each other. So I thought that was a really cool thing how they incorporate incorporate that live action. But this final battle. It was it was just truly epic. You know, when you get three Spider-Men running together and they're all jumping off the Statue of Liberty, much like a skydiving kind of sequence, and they're web slinging off of each other, it's like, oh my god, this is like this is so cool because this goes back to like what I mentioned on our last episode. Why Spider-Man's so cool is um he's not flying, he's not teleporting, um he's not driving a spaceship like these guys are web swinging and to get not one not two but three spider-man doing it off of each other was really cool but it was neat because this uh kind of gave us like that leadership of tom holland because this is the guy that has gone toe-to-toe with thanos this is the guy that's fought with the avengers so he knows how to fight in a team setting and i really Mm. like that aspect of how he was the one to kind of bring these guys together and be a guys we gotta this isn't working this is what we gotta do and sorry huddle up the huddle up, man. I, I I've been playing a lot of Guardians and the huddle <laughs> yes. up and everything. So <laughs> to see them do the huddle up was was really awesome. But again, like you know, Andrew Garfield talking to Toby about his back injury and trying to help him crack the back. Like that's so Spider Man. All three of these guys in different timelines have been Spider Man. But even in the comics, we've had our our take whether it's the Ultimate Spider Man, whether it's like the early Dan Slott run of like an Andrew Garfield like Spider Man, or if it's the classic kind of sixties a little bit uh toby mcguire so you kind of get a little bit of it all and have them all work together to take down the big bads together though one by one was something special and just hearing all the quips going on was just crazy but i gotta tell you man i'm just i'm I'm locked on andrew i'm just watching this guy do what he's do and it was it was cool and i liked the fact that um you know it was nice to have tom holland's suit look a little different from this point yeah because it be you know when I, when you're watching the trailers for me I'm like man I wish he had like his his homecoming suit because that's the closest thing to the classic suit at the time but for me it's also worked to have like the gold kind of like superior Spider-Man like suit um, the integrated suit because it really pops a little bit more so you can actually focus on mm-hmm. him but for me the money shot the absolute money shot and and I think Carlos you called this after that second trailer is it's 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 when um, Tom Holland Spider-Man goes after Zendaya's MJ to save her and he's going in and you're like okay it looks like he's actually gonna save her like shoot i guess that theory's off but he gets bumped out of the way and then it flashes to andrew and andrew like doesn't waste any time and he saves her but it's not just the fact that he saves her it's what he says after where he's like are you okay are you okay and then just like looking at him like yeah are, are, are you okay <laughs> yeah. And you can see the emotions running through this guy. And you can, for a second, MJ turns into Gwen. And you're just like, oh, my God. Look what they've achieved. John Watson crew, Avi Arad and crew, Kevin Feige, 
Amy Pascal, you just gave us some brilliant I know. stuff live action, and I was just losing it. One that he saved her different, right? Yeah, he, the little that, flip. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing, right? Is that he doesn't, well, he he doesn't use the web. He has to. Mm-hmm. doesn't use yeah. the web. He actually goes Because he knows, and they, exactly. they drew attention to the fact yeah. that he spins the web up instead of spinning it down. And yeah, no, that was that was magic. Brilliant. I I, I oh. personally appreciated that Tom Holland's like, all right, we're taking them out one at a time. We're all tag teaming, and we're taking out Sandman first. Because that's totally the way I play video games. It's like, all right, instead of trying to wear all these guys down, I've got to take down this one guy that's causing me the most grief. So I was like, yes, that is the strategy. Yeah. That's the way we go. But uh, Timbo, the final battle, man. Yeah, Troy, man, you, you went through that brilliantly. Like you're, you're hitting on all the high points here. And like you said, the, that Avengers Assemble moment where he realizes mm. that, wait, you don't have Avengers and, and all this? And I think that's great. It's it's such a, a great way to, to catalyze this this tom holland as being you know the one for now right these other guys are 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 a bit past and he's got to be the spider-man going forward at least at this stage and so that leadership is awesome but to build off of like another big moment right andrew gets his moment and toby gets his moments in this too and the big one coming when it comes to the the face-off with with goblin you know it's this whole thing leads to it is a series of moments right and it's a series of potential redemptions not only for villain characters but also for spider-man that we didn't get maybe those closing arcs to specifically with with toby and and andrew and and toby has a pretty seminal moment in this when he is the one to step in front of holland right when he's about to to kill the goblin because he's made this commitment that yes i will and i think that goes back to the point that you made there carlos about him being the, the weathered, the seasoned Spider-Man, that he is the right one to step in front there and and simply overpower Holland and say, he has this experience, he's been through this, this isn't the way. yeah And that's a pretty powerful moment when you have a guy that's just lost almost everything in his life and wasn't able to save MJ. And here we are able to to fix in his mind what is the death of his his Aunt May. And I think Toby is is optimally positioned here. I thought when he got stabbed, he was done. I thought, okay, we're gonna witness yeah. the death of Toby Maguire Spider Man in this film. I agree. And I, I it may have had a bit more of an emotional tug, but it also might have been a bit much for Holland to then watch this guy <laughs> die in front of him. I didn't think it was funny. He's like, Oh, I've been stabbed before. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. one to build on your point, I really like that he was the one and I think Garfield Spider Man said it as well. But they kept hammering home. This is what we do. Yeah, and yeah. that is the whole crux of the Spider-Man character. Like we talked about in our retrospective, is that it's the guy who, despite it always being the worst outcome for him personally, always steps up to do the right thing, mm-hmm. and yeah. that they wove that right into the story. I thought it was masterful, and yeah, that that final battle yeah. with the goblin was perfectly staged. And like now that Troy brings it up with the shield, like that being uh, the first time that we see Spider-Man in the suit is picking up the shield. It's kind of a meta thing that the last time we see the shield in this movie is that it's fallen, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's where he has like his final battle and then his little bonding moment with the Spider-Men, right? And they have their group hug, almost kind of you know mm-hmm. welcome to the welcome to the family type of thing i love you guys yeah yeah i like that i like that but that's that's what i say this is like a battle of moments it's not like 
it's not even really about the big moments for me. It's about the little ones that matter the most. Mm -hmm. Because you think when you look at the trailers and you put this on paper, it's like, let's have a crazy-ass Spider-Man battle with all of these villains. But we spend more time talking about the subtle things that they do that actually make this matter. Anyone can make Spider-Man fight villains, right? But it takes a very special writer and a special way to execute to emotionally connect to every single discussion point that these three have. Because in this battle, you can lose a lot of that. Because the best moments are when the masks are off and they're talking. Mm-hmm. In the middle yeah. of this crazy sand lizard electro battle, right? Like, th- those are the moments that, you know, on paper you want the fighting moments. But I think the moments that we all connect with most are just when they're chatting. Yeah, no, for sure. So we're going to do something a little different here. Can, can, can I mention one yeah. thing? One last thing? <laughs> one last thing? Because just because this, this, this movie is truly epic. I don't, want to, I don't want to step on your shoes, but I didn't say my favorite part. And you'd be like, what? Are you crazy? Clearly you said your favorite part. But no, my favorite part, clearly Andrew Garfield is my favorite guy, right? Like it, yeah. it, it's, it's come off that way. But I'm a Spider-Man fan first, Andrew Garfield fan second. And what this movie does at the very end, because obviously Peter Parker ends up giving up his whole self for the better world, right? He um, makes the world forget who he is. Well, Dr. Strange does. And for me, (laughs) this part is so special because after all of this is done, nobody remembers who Peter Parker is. And that scene when he goes and he says, I'm going to find you, MJ. I'm going to, you know, let you remember everything. I'm going to keep you up to speed here. And he goes and he sees her in like that diner ice cream shop. And he's trying to build up the courage to tell her what's going on. And he can't quite do it. But he gets, the, he finally builds up the confidence. He's like, I'm going to do it. And he's about to pull out that letter. And all MJ does is move her hair back. And the Band-Aid shows. And that Band-Aid shows that she's obviously recovering. That she's been hurt. And that hurt comes from Peter Parker. What he caused her. And from there, he puts back the note. And he walks away. And right there, you don't have to say it. But right there, that is with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. And yeah. that, everybody, is Peter Parker. <laughs> that, for me... This is the definitive moment of Spider-Man Peter Parker in the MCU. He goes back to his rundown apartment. Rent is due on the first of the month. The place looks terrible. And you see in the background, he is stitching up his Spider-Man classic costume. Red and blue, looking perfect. And in my opinion, this is the best we've seen Spider-Man web swing in the MCU on a snowy day and I am losing my mind. And I, I swear, I swear, I had dreams about this moment that night because i just fell in love with that moment that scene and that is my favorite scene of all time with spider-man because that's classic that's him making ends meet he's putting everybody he loves to the side for the better cause of them but he's still out there kicking ass and trying to save people in new york being the friendly neighborhood spider-man and i just i absolutely love that i can't believe that they pulled that off and it just set spider-man in such a right direction going forward in the mcu so for for me i just i had i had to, I had to explain it that was my favorite time, favorite moment in this film. It was fantastic. Well, I was gonna get you there. Fantastic. But you okay? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. You know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bury Alan this thing and uh, and take it backwards. We'll just how do you stop that energy? So yeah, yeah, we'll just play it from there. And I thought it was interesting that they went with this idea that everybody will forget who Peter Parker is. Yeah. And I think that's pretty deliberate that it wasn't everyone will forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man or everyone will forget who Spider-Man is. 
for me, there's a real concerted reason as to why it was everyone will forget who Peter Parker is. And the way that plays out with that his whole life has been stripped from him now and that we don't have MJ on the board. We don't have Ned on the board. They still exist. We don't have anything to do with Tony Stark or any of the technology or any of that journey. We have him in what I swear is a replica of the PS4 Spider-Man apartment. <laughs> Put like go back like I said it to my kid and she's like, "Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is 100% yep. that apartment." So that says something too to me. And yeah, that he crafts that red and blue they make it clear as the nose on my face that it is a cloth suit put together with a sewing machine true blue <laughs> peter parker style yes and yes. yeah it looks glorious like my only frustration is like i just i need to see the action figures and i need to see the hot toys and i need Give to it. see the model yes. i need to see what the spider yes. looks like on his back but yeah it looked amazing mm. i loved how they lit it and that the blue was shining through i love that they um, kind of hint that he took his inspiration off of Andrew and Toby's suits, yeah. right? With taking it back, taking it back to the blues, and uh, yeah, no, it was it was cool. So let's just get into this discussion then. Where is Tom Holland Spider Man in the grand scheme of things, and how are these two studios playing this? Because Amy Pascal talked about a trilogy. And working with the Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige talks about working on a story. Tom Rothman, yeah, Tom Rothman walked it all back and said, "Yeah, we're doing our thing, and the only thing that we owe Marvel is we have to let them use Spider-Man in a movie going forward." So I think it's interesting, and I'm curious to see where you guys are on where Spidey's at and how we're going to see him going forward. Cause for me, I think he's kind of going to operate in that Netflix defender space where it's like, he's still in that New York and the stuff is happening, but he's in his own kind of pocket of stories doing his own thing. And like Michael Morbius is there and he shows up and he does his things in that same New York but he'll only touch and cross over with the Sony Spider-Man character. So that's why it makes sense that uh, Michael Keaton's vulture would show up in that. And it opens the door for him crossing over with Spider-Man. Um, but I don't think we're going to have the Marvel characters come into that at all. And they built the perfect excuse into it and in that nobody knows who he is. And so that's why Captain America is not showing up or why you're not seeing the war machine flying around in the backgrounds of New York city through the Spider-Man movies. So that's kind of what I think they've done with it now. So Sony's put themselves in a cake and eat it too kind of position where it's like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like he's in the MCU. So you all pay your ticket money to come see our movies, but maybe he's not. And then, yeah. So Timbo, what do you think? You're like chomping at the bit there. You just about swallowed your microphone. Almost. <laughs> no, it's funny because this is going to be our Joker moment, right? As you alluded to at the start of the episode, because I, I took it much more 
definitively that he's in the MCU still, but they're going to tell more personal stories that don't rely on the greater narrative of the MCU. I think that you're right in that this is all deliberate because it erases the need to have the MCU be a big player piece in these more smaller personalized stories. But it also doesn't erase any of his appearances because people don't forget about Spider-Man. They just forget that he's Peter Parker. So Strange is still going to be aware of Peter or Spider-Man, sorry. And all these characters are going to be aware of Spider-Man, but they're not going to have more of that inherent emotional personal tie to the person inside of the suit. Mm-hmm. And so this opens the doors for maybe him having uh, or backdooring in the Fantastic Four. Or maybe they just spend time telling Peter Parker stories because and Spider-Man stories because this is the first time we actually get to have an isolated story told outside of the context of the MCU and the weight of the expectations of including characters. Mm-hmm. But I think, and if I can bring in the context of the mid credit scene, I think my takeaway from that was they're deliberate enough to shoot Hardy back out, but leave behind the Venom symbiote piece. Yeah. I think they're going to develop a parallel Venom story was my takeaway from that. And they're going to have the black suit Spider-Man. They're going to have a different Venom story. But like you said, as we talked in the DM, there might be this grander hive mind type thing where it's still connected, but they're in different universes. I think if they wanted to be more pointed, they wouldn't have stripped Venom out particularly because he's a bit anomalous, right? Like why was he pulled over? Like Mm -hmm. why he had no connection to a Spider-Man, but he sat inside of that universe for the, the duration of the film only to leave behind the black suit or the symbiote to eventually get us to the black suit in a Venom story. So I think he's MCU. I'm curious. There was another allusion to Miles Morales. If Sony's going to go that direction, I'm curious if they're going to bring back Andrew, but I'm not convinced that Holland's going to play the gray space and be in a Sony proper project as of yet. Look, Morbius, again, they do focus on that Rami Spider-Man in the background. That could also just be trailer trickery where it's actually Holland Spider-Man. They couldn't well, reveal yeah. the suit as of yet, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or, or somebody just saw Toby's Spider-Man. Exactly, or something like that. Guy, so, right? yeah. I, but still MC. Yeah, I'm, I was going into this, I was very much the advocate saying Holland's out. He's going to spo- Sony. They're going to take the character and sprint with it. But Troy, being the dude he is, <laughs> he called this from the beginning. And I'm I'm more in that he's camping. He is parked inside of the MCU. This movie made $260 freaking million in its opening weekend, right? <laughs> the, is, can Sony pull that off on their own without the Marvel brand? Maybe now. But mm. there's definitely benefits to both sides of the house here. Uh, see, but I think that Spider-Man was the draw. Like, I think if this was a strictly Sony movie... And you didn't have Doctor Strange. You had Madam Web was the reason that all the Spider-Men showed up together. And that's why the crossover happened. Um, this movie still makes as much money. I agree. But you have a lot of built-in fan base with Holland Spider-Man because of the MCU. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you just jam random Spider-Man in and have Toby and Andrew jump in. I don't know if you have the same turnout. Oh, no. I don't think that you do it. Like, you basically have the same movie. Like, Holland Spider-Man is Sony's Spider-Man. He's not the MCU Spider-Man. Like Sony pays his paycheck, his contract is with Sony. 
Agreed. So. But I still think a lot of people, whether it's true or not on the written contract, a lot of people, myself included, see this as the MCU Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I well, don't like this disagree. for marketing purposes yeah. too, right? I mean, when we have like Avengers Park, we have the action figures, you see them with Tony, you see them with Doctor Strange. So, yeah, for the for the common person, I'd definitely say like, you would you would definitely um, identify Tom as the MCU Spider-Man. Yeah. I would say. But but he technically is Sony's, mm -hmm. but the common person's like, that's the MCU yeah, Spider-Man. Spider which is everything MCU wants, yeah. right? That's what Disney wants, yeah. So what's your theory? Listen, man. Lay it on us. Listen, I, I, I won't get... I won't get too much into the whether he's Sony or or, or Disney because I, I I've, I've been saying for a, for a minute I feel he's it's Spider Man he needs to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe he's he's a Marvel guy but give Sony credit when it's due and I think Sony did an amazing mm. job with this film but going forward y'all I'm telling you listen we've been um we've been introduced to Feast since Far From Home right we've had the Feast appearance that's at May's organization where she basically helps out uh, the unfortunate. And I feel going forward off the success of this film, off the success of the PS5, PS4, Spider-Man game, Martin Lee is the guy that takes over Feast. He is going to be the next MCU, Spider-Man, Sony, bad guy, whatever you want to have it. I feel like that's going to be coming down our paths. He's going to take over Feast. We probably have Tom Holland's Peter Parker helping out there because he's going to feel that connection. That, that was at May's mm -hmm. place. He's definitely going to be involved there. And I think with what we've had with the uh, with the opening of like the Spider Verse, the little mini Spider Verse that we've had, I think the big big bad coming our way, it's not Venom. I think it's going to be Morlan. I feel like Morlan, who's he's actually the legit Spider Verse big bad. He's kind of had a taste of like Spider Man being in one place, and he's going to want to hunt down these different Spider Man. So I feel like at the <laughs> the final trilogy of the Spider Man universe, we're going to have a showdown with Morlan. We're going to have other Spider-Man coming back again because this generated a lot of movie. This is not the last time we we're going to mm -hmm. see more than one Spider-Man on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a cool tease that you could kind of do, much like we've had with uh, Infinity War and Endgame and the Avengers, is at the end of the next Spider-Man film, in the background we'll see, say, Spider-Gwen. Or we'll see, not Miles, because Miles will pop up eventually, but we'll see some other Spider-Man that's been captured or hunted by Merlon, and it's going to end. And you're going to see that in the next film. And then when the third film comes, we're going to have all the Spider-Men join to take down the, the Merlon and his brothers that have been hunted down the Spider-Man. I think it's going to be crazy. I think we're going to get Venom in there too. Uh, definitely, like Tim mentioned, with that symbiont staying in the MCU, I feel like we're definitely going to get... Uh, Tom Holland in the black suit. I feel like we get a new love interest, and it's going to be Felicia Hardy. That's nice. going to be the next girl in this movie. So I feel like, yeah, we're getting Miles Morales as well in there. But you know, because because Jamie Foxx is kind of hinted towards it. But I feel like with the next film, it's Martin Lee, aka Mister Negative, running Feast. Film after that, because it's College Year Spideys. We're probably gonna get the black suit, and then to end everything off, we're gonna get Merlon and Tom Holland. Spider Man's gonna die. And I feel like Miles Morales is going to be the one that takes the reign going wow. forward. We'll, we'll have no. a younger wow. Spider-Man wow. going wow. forward. I, yeah. I, I, but that's that's my that's my my three my three film plan. I yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I want his, I want the, a different love interest, like you're saying. I, whether it's Gwen yeah. or whomever, I need. I think we need someone to challenge him in a different way. I don't want him to be the lost puppy yeah. chasing MJ. I'm okay to put that on yeah. the back burner for a little bit. Maybe that's inevitability. But I think a change-up yeah. will will benefit the character, the dynamics, the supporting cast turnover a little bit. I yeah. think it'll all help Black the Cat film. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my theory is that he gets that symbiote because yes. he's brought so low, and you can build off of what happened to him in this movie. 
And that's why that piece of the symbiote without uh, Venom proper, so to speak, uh, guiding that piece. So Spider-Man does his thing in that beautiful black suit and yeah. the Clintar hive mind is what brings Tom Hardy's Venom back into the fold with this Spider-Man. And then, and then we play, but we won't have to wait long to see what they're doing and get a bit of a sense as to what yep. the roadmap's going to look like. Cause we've got uh, Morbius well, in like not even eight weeks. So do you think it's possible we'll get our own MCU Eddie Brock? No. Like the variant, like, you think Eddie Brock's only Sony and that's that? Yeah, I I just, the sense I get is that Sony wants to hold on to as many of the toys as they can. and But it could double up then, right? I, I don't know that that works. Like, maybe. Maybe. I think they might see what happens yeah. with Warner Brothers with their, like, multiple Batman plan. But mm. we'll see what happens. Like, the other thing you got to remember, too, is that Disney takes a big piece of the pie when mm-hmm. they do the collabs, yeah. whereas... Disney right. just and they get all the merch money. Whereas when Sony does the movie, yes, they don't lose any of their box office take, and Disney gets the profit off the merch. But they still got the merch though, right? Yeah. Like so, even like Amazing Spider-Man two they've, by Sony, yeah, they've always the got merchandise. The merch. They still, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that doesn't oh, okay. take anything out office. of the yeah. Sony, I don't think gets any kickback from the merch. They might get a few things for like whatever. Like if we use your design versus yeah. like just our stock comic book design then you get a percent or whatever but yeah i don't know i'll be curious to see how it plays out for sure for sure it's uh, definitely uh, left us with a lot of questions yeah. that's for sure yeah. i'm also happy. a lot of answers a lot of answers. i got a spider-man with yes. no baggage yes. yeah yeah it's so <laughs> no sweet. baggage yeah. yeah he's got his sewing machine suit and i'm happy so yeah. on that note yes. I guess, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's drop some final thoughts and some letter grades. Timbo, why don't you go first? Oh man, you're sticking me with the first letter grade here. I was hoping I'd get to go second or third, but that's okay. Uh, there's not much more can be said about this thing. This is an unbelievable experience. This was a movie that, like I said at the start, had the loftiest of expectations, and to exceed it in any capacity would be a damn near miracle. And they did it. They pulled it off. They managed to give us everything that we we're expecting, everything that we wanted. But also this was a way more emotional movie than I had ever anticipated. The moments that we wanted, we got, but it was the subtle moments in and around those that I think I appreciated the most. The May twist, the the times with the Spider-Man with their masks off, the, the lab scene, all of this really brought this movie and elevated it for me to to a bombastic Spider-Verse cut and paste to something that really drew out Peter Parker's final story as part of this six-part arc. And this being the point forward Spider-Man, everything that you guys said last week about him being down and out broke, that is where we're at, and I freaking love it. I'm excited for the future of Spider-Man. I'm immensely impressed with the directing, the writing team, the actors, the collaboration, everything that they did here. I, I'm debating between between two letter grades here, but I don't see why I can't give this an A+. I don't see on a level of like comparative lookbacks at any MCU film, if we're going this, or DC film, or even Star Wars film, I don't see why this doesn't sit at that A-plus level. Part of me wants to put it at A because is an A-plus unattainable? I don't think so. This movie did it, and that's where I'm landing, A-plus on this one. All right. Well, yeah, from the... Master engineer, Avi Arad, 
A plus, the first A plus in the MCU. There you go. Hopefully, Kevin Feige can make a movie this good and uh, get get an A plus as well. <laughs> it's a, let's put it this way: it's been an interesting year. I've given two A letter grades, and neither of them are a Kevin Feige production. <laughs> yeah, Zack Snyder and Avi Arad. Who would have thought? Bizarre world continues. Uh, y- Man, what is there to say? Like, I laid out a wish list not that many episodes ago as to all the things that I wanted out of this movie and all the things that I thought were shortcomings of the MCU Spider-Man to date, which I liked, but I always had that asterisk in that this is just the MCU version of Spider-Man. This is not my ideal version of Spider-Man. And... uh they served me up like the perfect version of a live action Spider-Verse movie where they played with all the toys that we had, that they embraced the criticisms and shortcomings of the previous films and wrote a great movie uh, to address those and to elevate everything Sony Spider-Man. And that they took what was the Spider-Verse movie and just use it as the dressing for an emotional journey for Tom Holland's Peter Parker was amazing and a masterstroke and why this movie worked so well. So right off the hop uh, from when Peter sees the reveal of Mysterio showing the world his identity to... Um, him making the decision to keep Spider-Maning on despite everything he sacrificed and everything it's cost him. Uh, it was the perfect Peter Parker journey. So yeah, man, this one gets a straight up a for me. Um, I got, I got no complaints and I don't think they could have done anything better given all the things that they had to do with it. Right. So uh, they didn't get the blank slate that, some movies get to play with they had things that came before and i thought they did a flawless job uh dealing with it so troy my man take us home yeah you know you guys pretty much echo my thoughts man this this film for me i've always enjoyed the mcu films i've enjoyed pretty much every spider-man film except spider-man 3 i even find little glimmers Mm -hmm. in amazing spider-man 2 but this film for me it's it's done so many things on so many different levels and it really just you know i've mentioned it before but it nailed it nailed the characteristics of spider-man and they had three chances to do it and they did they you know each one represented different timelines of peter parker but at the end at the end of it all we actually got our definitive spider-man going forward and i really do thank the team of marvel and sony uh disney just combining to do this because this is crazy man because you know you go back some years ago there's no way there is no Mm -hmm. way we would have ever had this and you know yes they made a lot of money but the fact that kevin feige and avia rod and amy pascal really (laughs) talked about this and was like look guys let's bring back all these spider-man to do this film that's we're spoiled like there's no way that should have happened and and it did it really did and it took those guys to actually make this happen and I'm I'm just so satisfied. I I'm, I haven't had a film ever that I've actually liked this much. This is this is this has become my favorite film. Like I love Revenge of the Sith, but I can find its holes. I can mm. find its weaknesses. I love Zack Snyder's Justice League, but I can find like the length time and all these other little things. I love Endgame, but for me, it's it's the third act that really you know just destroys it, which is amazing for me. But this film, all acts work 
you have such a roller coaster of rides and emotions. Everything was firing on all cylinders for me. I just I had such a good time with this film, and I can't get enough of it. Like I'm gonna go see this film a couple more times because I really can't get enough of this film. Um, so man, for me, this is just the best thing ever. It's the best thing to happen this year. It's I, I love this film so much. Um, I can't give it an A. I can't give it an A minus. I can't give it an A plus. I got to give it a triple S. A triple S. I'm taking it to the video games. I'm taking it to Devil, <laughs> Devil May, Cry. May Cry. I'm giving it. Tr- tr- you know what I mean? I'm giving it a triple S ranking. Island. It's sensational. It's superior and it's spectacular, man. This is the film for me. Um, I don't know how anybody else feels about it, but for me, it just it, it killed it. This is like the biggest fanboy film, in my opinion, that just serves me so well. So uh, I loved it, man. Go out there and see this film. Support it. It needs the support, yeah. right? Man, yeah, that like, is amazing. I'm actually going to retire <laughs> from hosting the reviews because it doesn't get any better than that. Nope. That you, you reached uh, your peak. <laughs> That you brought it back to our boy Dante is is yeah. incredible, man. Is incredible. I just want to get up and do yes, uh, when he gets that hat and his little MJ dance that he does in Devil May Cry Five. That's how, yeah, that's how that uh, letter grade made me feel. But uh, this was amazing. Uh, this was amazing. So clearly, this was an excellent movie that was beloved by all the hosts here, and honestly, it couldn't have been any better. So. Timbo, if you want to take us home with that clo- with that end credits crawl. I got you, man. I got you, Carlos Ben. This is always a pleasure. I love playing color commentator here, and this has been a great discussion. And we're going to get to that final post-credits next week, guys. We're going to have a few things to talk about, including the end of Hawkeye, which also had a Statue of Liberty reference into it. So that's my favorite part about that thing. <laughs> and there's some big things that's going to inevitably roll out of that, whether you're hot and heavy into this or not, we're going to be breaking down and discussing it. We've also got Book of Boba Fett kicking up next Wednesday, which is going to be incredible. we got to get through the holidays here. So before I actually do the wrap-up, we want to wish everyone that is celebrating, that is spending time with their family as they're very safe and happy holidays. We understand the world is changing yet again. But please be safe. Enjoy this time with your families and take advantage of the downtime to go see Spider-Man No Way Home again like uh, Troy will be doing here. So all the best to you and yours. And if you want to be a bigger part of the Spider discussion, you can always email us at nerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do at nerdroom.net. The hunt is real, and it's going to get realer as we get into the holidays here. So hopefully our wives have cooked up just a little bit of that nerd, and hopefully your spouses, significant others, or friends and family will do the same for you. So tag us at the NerdRM over on Instagram with your holiday finds, holiday pickups, and gifts, whatever it is that you do. Tag us there. You can always use hashtag WeTheNerd as well to find us. Twitter, our handle's at the end of the episode if you want to talk more Spider-Man. And YouTube, head over to our channel, give it a subscribe, thumbs up, check out those videos. There's some stuff coming out this week, a very Hawkeye-focused thing that I'm trying to get out before this episode. So go over to our YouTube channel and check that one out. It's like a five-minute video about the history of Hawkeye MCU Marvel Legends. So something a little new that we're trying out there, so go check that out over on our YouTube page. And we've got, what, one more episode this year, guys? Two more episodes? I don't know. We're going to wrap things up over the next couple coming weeks. We're going to kick things off with 2022. Peacemaker, Morbius, crazy stuff going on here in the new room. So we're going to come at you guys hot and heavy in 2022. But I guess until next week after we make it through the holidays and just before New Year's for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Batman. And thank you guys so much for entering the Nerd Room and have a very safe and happy holidays. 
This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.